and and let's start with the modern day issue um, darkness darkness in most cultures is synonymous to evil this is why we start our scary stories with it begins on a dark night where a dark man waits with a dark purpose we speak of our times of suffering fear and pain as it was a very dark time in my life. So too it is in the teachings of Kabbalah and Hasidus in which light refers to goodness and divinity while darkness refers to evil, the other side, and that which conceals the, and fights the light. Now nevertheless, this is all, all this that we said that darkness is evil, negative, this is all in the teachings concerning something called Seder Hishtal Shalut, which means the order of evolution of the infinite light, including even the Mo'or, the source of light. Over there we refer to light as divinity, goodness, and darkness as evil, the other side. However, when we speak of the essence of God, we speak specifically of darkness, in a defiance to any form, description, or revelation. Thus, there are, the, there are the polar opposites of dynamics of darkness. Within the realm of light, it carries a negative connotation, while above and beyond light, the essence, it carries the ultimate expression of exaltedness and divinity. Now, being that God has created man in his likeness and his image, as it says in Genesis, thus within us too there exists not just the negativity of darkness, but also the ultimate goodness of darkness. And so too in the world we live in, and in the experiences that we live through. Darkness, while in its expression is negativity, it is also the portal to the exalted heights of our ultimate image and likeness to God. In this lecture, we are going to explore the two sides of darkness, its holy and its unholy sides, and how to transform the entirety of darkness into its ultimate light and goodness. Now, this lecture is based primarily on a mimer, a mystical teaching of the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, delivered on this Shabbos in 1965, exploring the opaque darkness into which Moses entered in order to receive the Torah. And now let's start with some introductions. Introduction number one. After the Jewish people heard the Ten Commandments, Moses went up to the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights in order to receive the Torah from God. Now this is how the verse documents this, and I quote, The people remained far off, but Moses drew near to the opaque darkness where God was. Now what does this mean, Arafel, opaque darkness? So Rashi, Rab Shlomo Yitzchaki, classic uh, French commentator on the Torah in, uh, in the 11th century, he explains as follows. He says, Moses drew near to the opaque darkness. What does this mean? Within three partitions, darkness, cloud, and opaque darkness. As it is said, he quotes the verse from Deuteronomy, where it retells the story. 
and the mountain was burning with fire unto the heart of the heavens, darkness, cloud, and opaque darkness. And then Rashi goes on to explain. Opaque darkness is synonymous with the thickness of the cloud, av ha'anan, concerning which he, God, had said to Moses before in Exodus, Behold, I am coming to you in the thickness of the cloud. Okay, let us give a better look into the mysticism of this opaque darkness into which Moses entered to meet with God and receive the Torah. Introduction number two. Two opinions of darkness. Here we are going to find two opposite opinions concerning the opaque darkness and that this was where God was. That's what the verse says. Now, first opinion. The Kabbalist, in the Kabbalistic book called Emek HaMelech by the 17th century Kabbalist Rabbi Naftali Hertz, explains that the opaque darkness beyond regular darkness refers to the lowest of the three worlds of separation. The world of Asiyah, action. Thus, when Rashi talks of the three partitions that conceal and separate, he's referring to the three worlds of separation, in which, one, darkness is the highest of the three worlds, called Beriah, creation, ex nihilo. And two, cloud, is the second world, Yetzirah, formation. And the third, opaque darkness, is the lowest world, Asiyah, action. In my notes, I'll actually post my notes here now, but in my notes, you will actually have a link to explain every single one of those worlds. Okay? Now, let's continue. We don't really need to get into that right now to understand it. We'll talk about it soon. Now, with this, the interpretation of where God was, it says that he went into the Arafel, the opaque darkness, where God was. This is based on the actual name of God that is used in this word, Elohim. Now, Elohim serves as a shade, a concealment that doesn't allow the ineffable tetragrammaton, the yud heh vav -Hey, to shine through. Thus, the worlds of separation come from the name Elohim, which is the name of contraction and concealment. And thus, the ultimate expression of Elohim is in the world of opaque darkness, which according to this Kabbalistic opinion, Rabbi Naftali Hertz of uh, the Sefer Emek HaMelech, this is the lowest world, the darkest world, the physical world of action. And that's where Moses went when he went up the up the mountain to receive the Torah. We'll understand this momentarily. Let's talk about the exact opposite opinion. Now, Rabbi Nachem Mendel of Lubavitch, the Tzemach Tzedek, the third Lubavitch Rebbe, he, based on a verse in and on a Talmudic teaching, he finds that opaque darkness to be speaking of the highest dimension, not the lowest dimension. Now, let's look at the verse. The verse comes from the Book of Kings when Samuel the prophet I'm sorry, the, the, when King Solomon said, right, when he was building the temple, the Lord said that he would dwell in the opaque darkness. Now, this is not talking about in the times of exile, where opaque darkness would be referring to something negative, 
Quite the contrary, this is referring to the greatest of King Solomonic times in which the Holy Temple was built and King Solomon is talking about God dwelling in the Holy of Holies within the Holy Temple. Thus we see that opaque darkness here is referring to the ultimate heights. And now I want to share with you another proof that the Tzemach Tzedek brings and this is from the Talmud in Tractate Chagiga. Now we are taught that there are seven heavens. The Talmud in Chagiga gives the name of each of the seven heavens and talks about what is within each one. I just want to share with you one of them which is relevant to what we're talking about now. And I'm going to quote to you the Talmud. The Talmud says like this, Aravot, that's the name of this heaven. It means the skies is the firmament that contains righteousness, justice, Righteousness as in charity and the throne of glory. And then he goes on to say, The king, God and living, loath the exalted one, dwells above them in Aravot, as it is stated, and he quotes a verse, And darkness and clouds and opaque darkness surrounded him. As it is stated in the verse in Psalms, He made darkness his hiding place, his pavilion round about him, darkness of water, thick clouds of the sky. Now, this is what we see here, that in this heaven where the throne of glory is, it's surrounded by opaque darkness. Now, the Talmud asks the question, And is there darkness before heaven, meaning before God? But isn't it written in Daniel? He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. This demonstrates that there's only light, not darkness, is found with God. The Talmud answers, This is not a difficult matter, the contradiction between the verse in Psalm and the verse in Daniel's, where there is God surrounds himself with darkness, or there is no darkness around God. Why? This verse, which states that only light dwells with him, is referring to the inner houses. That's the words it uses. Where there is only light, and that verse, according to which he is surrounded by darkness, is referring to the outer houses. Okay. Now, let's see what does this inner house mean. The Tzemach Tzedek explains the answer of the Talmud concerning the inner houses, that it is speaking of the supernal crown, Kabbalistically speaking, which is called, he made darkness, his hiding place. The supernal crown, which is above all the emanations, it's above the head, is referred to as darkness. Now, according to this, the Tzemach Tzedek explains, that when Rashi says on our verse that there's three partitions, there's darkness, there's cloud, there's opaque darkness, he defines it not as in the lower three worlds of separation, but rather as in the heights of heights of the emanations. And he says like this, Darkness is a supernal crown. Cloud is emanation of wisdom. And opaque darkness is the emanation of understanding. Now with this the Tzemach Tzedek defines what is the last part of that verse which says, which their Elohim is. Now he says, <clears throat> excuse me, that Moses drew near to the opaque darkness. This mystically means that Moses who embodied the emanation of splendor rose and entered into the emanation of understanding in order to receive the Torah. In this interpretation, when it says, Asher 
Elohim, which their God was, sees the name as Elohim not as concealment, as darkness in a negative way, covering the light, withholding the light, rather is the ultimate presence of God, the Ancient One, as it's called in Kabbalah, within the inner house of the supernal crown itself, which presents itself in the emanation of understanding. Please do not worry if you don't wrap your head around supernal crown, emanations, there's only one thing we need to know here. I gave you all the details because that's the way it is. However, what I need you to know from this in order to understand this class is just one thing. One opinion says the Amik HaMelech, Rab Naftali hurts. The Kabbalist says that this opaque darkness into which Moses entered to receive the Torah in 40 days and 40 nights represents the darkness of negativity, the three worlds of separation to which Moses had to bring the Torah. And primarily the lowest of those three worlds, our dark physical world of obnoxiousness, rebellion, and physicality. On the other hand, we have the exact opposite opinion of the great Samach Tzedek, who quotes from the verse, and he quotes from the Talmud, that refers to this opaque darkness as the highest of heights, the supernal crown. It is the darkness not in the sense of negativity of light, but rather it's the absence of any specific finite form or shape, which is what light is all about. Thus we're talking about the infinite essence of God. And according to this, Moses entered into this opaque darkness in order to be able to receive from the heights of heights the Torah of God. Now, thus according to this interpretation, Moses is entering into the highest dimension, the emanation in which the Ancient One presides. Now, here are two antithetical opinions. Opaque darkness that Moses entered into. Is it negative or is it beyond positive? And what we're going to see in this teaching is that according to the Rebbe of Blessed Memory, the two are not arguing, but rather they are complementary to each other, as we shall soon see. Now, one more introduction before we dive into the lecture itself. The question here is that God brought us to Mount Sinai, thunder, lightning, miracles, we all receive the Torah and its commandments, and all the mitzvot. Now, the question is that we know from the Talmud, Tractic Yuma, that says that our forefathers, A, they adhered to all the 613 commandments before the Torah was given at Mount Sinai. B, it says that they studied Torah. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob studied Torah. Thus, we here see that through divine knowledge, we already knew what the Torah says and what the Torah commands us to do. So why did we have to receive the Torah again at Mount Sinai? If Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob already knew it through their divine powers. Now, there are three answers which is going to define the difference between pre-Mount Sinai, the way Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had the Torah and the mitzvot, and what happened, unprecedentedly happened, at the Mount Sinai giving of the Torah. So, 
The first answer is going to focus on the who. Who gave who the Torah? What this means is that we are taught that Abraham received the mitzvot because of his lofty service to God. Thus, he merited to be able to have the Torah mitzvot. What is this, the knowledge of the Torah and mitzvot? Now, what does this mean to us? What this means to us is something very interesting. The verse says, and Abraham traveled continually traveling southwards. That's what the verse says. He continuously traveled. What does this mean in Kabbalah? What this is talking about is a spiritual traveling. The relationship between Avram and God carried within it both ways of ebb and flow. Ebb is that yearning in which Abraham wanted to be attached and connected and preoccupied only with God, completely negating anything in his spirit in his physical environment. That is the ebb. I want to just be with God, study His Torah, love God, fear God, pray to God. That's all I want. That's the ebb that Avram, our patriarch, experienced. Then there is the flow in which Abraham says, regardless of that I want to live in spirituality, I must flow back downwards here into the physical world in order to do what God wants me to do. The ebb and the flow. Avram Avinu embodied this in its fullest. And because he embodied this in its fullest through his hard work, thus he received the Torah and the mitzvot. The mitzvot are made up of 248 positive commandments, that's the ebb. 365 prohibitions, that's the flow. Thus, Avram Avinu, only because of what an exalted soul he had, he was able to reach the epitome of ebb and flow. Thus, he received the Torah and the mitzvot, which is all about ebb and flow relationship with God. What happened at Mount Sinai? At Mount Sinai, God made it now possible for each and every one of us to be able to achieve the ebb and flow relationship with God. Before God gave us the Torah, only exalted souls like Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, through their absolute, absolute commitment and connection, were able to reach it. But once God gave us the Torah with the 613 commandments, made up of the 248 positive and the 365 negative, thus the prohibitions, thus we are each now able to have an ebb and flow relationship with God. Number two, where? What does the where mean? That Abraham's mitzvot's observance were not about bringing divinity into the physical world. Why? Because when God created the world, God put a barrier between heaven and earth, spiritual and physical, saying that heaven shall not come down to earth, and earth shall not ascend to heaven. Thus, Avraham Avinu's work, his spiritual work, was only able to manifest itself within the spiritual realms. 
What happened at Mount Sinai was, the verse says, Vayered Hashem al Har Sinai, and God descended upon Mount Sinai, thus breaking the barrier, bringing heaven down to earth. Then God told Moses, ascend the mountain, bringing earth up to heaven. So therefore, by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was only a spiritual experience, his Torah study and his mitzvot observance. But when we do Torah mitzvot, after God broke the barrier between heaven and earth, we actually bring divinity down here to earth, creating holy objects such as the Sefer Torah, such as the Tefillin, such as the Mezuzot, physical holy objects. Because we bring spirituality and Torah mitzvot down into the physical world. The third answer of what's the difference between pre-Mount Sinai and God giving the Torah at Mount Sinai is about the what. In the, in, the, in, the, in the B, in the second one, we just spoke about the where. Where the effect of Torah and mitzvot were taking place. Here we are talking about what is being brought down into the Torah. In other words, what dimension of divinity is being drawn into the Torah? Is it the infinite light only, or is it the essence of God which is being drawn into the Torah? Let's see what the Torah says. So God told Moses in the beginning of Exodus, He said, I appeared, quote, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob with the name Almighty God, Kel Shakai, but with my name, the ineffable tetragrammaton, the yud heh vav I did not become known to them. What this means is that only as the infinite light, as it clothes itself within the emotion, the lower emanations of kindness, which is Abraham, strictness, which is Isaac, compassion, which is Jacob, was revealed within the Torah and mitzvot of our forefathers. That's what they experienced, the lower emanations in the spiritual world, which more specifically, Abraham experienced the infinite light as it clothes itself within kindness, Isaac as it clothes itself within strictness, Jacob as it clothes itself within the compassion. Now, what happened at Mount Sinai? What are the first three words of the Ten Commandments? Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I, the essence. Hashem, the ineffable tetragrammaton, the infinite light. Your Elohim which is the finite light and the vessels. Thus we see at Mount Sinai it wasn't just about the infinite light, the way it descended and clothed itself within the lower emotion emanations, but rather the essence, the infinite light, the finite light and the vessels were all given to us at Mount Sinai. I am Hashem, your Elohim. Now, in other words, as the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, it was the infinite light clothed itself in the ultimate truth and transparency of the higher emanations, wisdom. While the Torah and mitzvot of our forefathers were only in the lower emanations, the emotion emanations, kindness, strictness, compassion. Even higher than this, that while the Torah and mitzvot of our forefathers only had within it the atzilut, the world of unity and holiness, 
The Torah mitzvot that were given at Mount Sinai had within it the I am God, your God, which is above the order of evolution of the infinite light, and rather was from, and here I quote to you a verse from Samuel's. Samuel's told, I'll just give you the backstories. Samuel told King Saul that he lost the kingship because he didn't do what God said with the Amalekis. And then what happens after that is that Saul asks, can I not be forgiven? And here is what King, what Samuel the prophet answers King Shaul. And also the strength of Israel will neither, be, neither lie nor repent, for he is not a man. Kilo Adamhu. Now, in Kabbalah and Hasidus, we talk about Samuel the prophet saying that, for he is not a man. And we talk about Ezekiel in the vision of the chariot where he says that he soared within the, within, upon the chariot of God, the holy throne, a likeness of man. What is the difference here? Now what happens here is that when we talk about the likeness of man, we're talking about the order of evolution of the infinite light. When we talk about for he is not a man, we talk about the essence above and beyond any form, image, or spiritual evolution. Thus, at Mount Sinai, it was all about, hear how the discourse words it, it's beautiful. What really took place at Mount Sinai, which did not take place when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob studied Torah and did mitzvot, what happened at Mount Sinai was that the I, the essence, for he is not a man, was brought down into the likeness of man. The likeness of man refers to the Torah, the way it's made up of 365 organs, i.e. positive commandments, 300, I'm sorry, 248 organs, 365 prohibitions, which are the sinews. Thus, in the Torah, there is a form and image. The divinity manifests itself, clothes itself within the form of man as it is in the spiritual realm. What happened at Mount Sinai was that I, the essence of God, for he is not a man, was brought into the Torah for the likeness of man. Now this is all about drawing the essence. So we have over here three answers of what the difference of what Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov did not have that we was in their Torah and mitzvot to what we have in our Torah and mitzvot as it was given at Mount Sinai. Now, let's see what the Rebbe does with this. Here too, the Rebbe does not see it as an argument of three opinions, but rather as one growing opinion. What is the growing opinion? That the power of God giving us the Torah at Mount Sinai, even though our forefathers already had the Torah mitzvot, is that, and here I'm going to name the, the opinions, C, the essence is B, drawn down into the physical, and that A, this can be done by anyone and everyone. Now we are ready for the lecture in which we explore the oneness of the holiness and the unholiness of the opaque darkness. And now let's start the lecture. As you know, 
I always start the lecture with giving a list of mystical concepts that we're going to explain and then wrap it all together and go back to our modern day issue in our personal lives, the confusion of darkness, the negativity and pain of darkness, and on the other hand, the portal of the true essence of our being in darkness. So let's first get the list of the mystical concepts. Number one, why mankind? The power of refinement. Two, rationalizing Torah. Three, fear of heaven in Torah study. And then lastly, D, the Moses within us. And let the amazement of Hasidus begin. So, concept number one, why mankind? The power of refinement. Let us start with another exploration. We just explained that it was at Mount Sinai that began the ultimate power of the Torah mitzvot to draw down into this physical world the highest of high, the for he is not a man essence of God. How did the imperfect, lonely human, lowly human merit this? Now, why am I calling the human lowly human? I'm not here to beat up at the human. But the Talmud states, and I share with you, quote, The sages taught Adam was created on Shabbat Eve at the close of the six days of creation. And for what reason was this so? And it gives a couple of reasons. I'm going to quote you one reason. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, he was created on Shabbat Eve so that if a person becomes haughty, God can say to him, The mosquito preceded you in the acts of creation, as you were created last. Now, I have a little footnote in my notes, and that is, why mosquito? Why is it called, mosquito is called lowly? So I want to refer you to the Talmud in Tractic Gittin, page 56, side B. And I quote, Why is it, the mosquito, called a lowly creature? Because it has an entrance for taking in food, but it does not have an exit for excretion. Now, I want you to see, Tanya, in chapter 24, that mystically speaking, to take and not to give is the lowest of unholiness. Thus, the Talmud specifically picks the mosquito and says even the mosquito came before the human being. Thus, the question is, if the Talmud suggests that there is such a lowly side to the human being, how did the human being merit to be able to be the one to draw the essence of God through Torah and mitzvot into this physical world. One answer is precisely the mystical rule which talks about that that which is lowest is only because its source is the highest and thus it can descend so low. So one answer is simply the fact that the human being was created last shows us that in the source, the human being was the first and the highest. One answer. But then there's another answer. The other answer is as follows. That why did the man, why did mankind merit to receive the Torah? Is specifically because the entire desire of God creating the universe is for avodat habirurim. Avodat Abirudim means service of refinement. This means precisely to descend into the lowest and specifically there to subdue, refine, and transform the darkness into a transparent vessel 
for God. Creation is all about us making out of specifically this physical world of darkness the ultimate abode for God himself, the essence of God. Now that we understand precisely because the human has fallen the lowest, parenthetically speaking, not on my notes, I wanted to share with you that in Tanya we're taught that a human being who sins is lower than any impure creature. So let's just take, for argument's sake, pig. Pig is unkosher, it's unholy, but the pig is not rebelling against God. It is what God created it to be. It's the human being who's even lower than the pig when he eats pork because he is rebelling against God. Thus we're being taught that truly the human can fall into the lowest of the low. And precisely so, he can there do the ultimate service of refinement to transform the lowest of the low, the darkest of the darkness, the opaque darkness, the thickness of the cloud, and to elevate it, subdue it, refine it, transform it, so that that place becomes the precious home of the essence of God. Not like in the spiritual world, which is just for the infinite light of God, but for the essence of God. Now, with this, we can go back now to our conversation about the opaque darkness. The two opposite, opposing opinions, whether the opaque darkness is negative or the opaque darkness is the supernal crown, the highest of the high, for he is not a man. Now, Moses drew near to the opaque darkness. It is specifically in the negative opaque darkness, which the first opinion, Rabbi Naftali Hertz, the great Kabbalist of the 17th century, the Emek HaMelech says, that he went into the darkest of realms, the world of Asiyah, the physical darkness, the world of separation and arrogance and narcissism. It's specifically in the negative opaque darkness of the lowly physical world that God is focused upon for us to subdue, refine, and transform the darkness of its arrogance, which through this we each reach into the holiest opaque of darkness of He made darkness His hiding place. Where can we connect, not with the infinite light of God, expression, but where can we connect with the essence of God? Not in the spiritual worlds of light, but specifically in the opaque darkness of this world. When we do hear Torah mitzvot, we connect, it's the portal we open up, so that the essence of God has a home among us. Now we can also understand the meaning behind the name Elohim. Why does it say, and Moses drew near to the opaque darkness where the, the, where the Elohim was? Why are we talking about Mount Sinai, the essence, the highest? Why don't we talk about higher names? The ineffable tetragrammatim, Hashem, Yudke Vavke. And the answer here we can now see what the meaning of Elohim is. Remember that Emek HaMelech talks about it as the source of negativity because it's contraction, concealment, the shade. That Samach Tzedek talks about it as he makes his abode in darkness, the essence, for he is not a man. How do we make these two come together? 
The meaning behind the specific name of Elohim in our verse of where God was in the opaque darkness, on the one hand, Elohim is the shade of concealment upon the infinite light of the ineffable tetragrammaton, from which the physical world of darkness is produced through this concealment. On the other hand, once we, through Torah study and mitzvot observance, do our service of refinement in this dark physical world, we then connect with the exalted opaque darkness, the Elohim of essence concealment. He made darkness his hiding place. Thus, both interpretations in that one word, in that one name of God, coincide. Because it's only through getting from the darkness which comes from Elohim's concealment contraction, and there we serve God, and there we subdue our arrogance, and there we refine and elevate and transform, then we reach the ultimate Elohim, which is the ultimate essence of God, for He is not a man. Now, this was all quite mystical, and obviously so, because this Torah portion talks about the Ten Commandments in Mount Sinai. It's a mystical thing, but we need to make it practical. So watch how the Rebbe makes this all practical, briefly and precisely. What does this oneness of the two opposing interpretations mean to us in our daily Torah study and our mitzvah observance? As we explained earlier, it is all about bringing the for he is not a man essence into the likeness of man, Torah and mitzvot. What this translates into for us is that we embrace that there is within the Torah that which is higher than our understanding. The Torah is not just man, logic, rationale, but rather it has within it also not a man, illogical, transrational. The power of drawing that which is illogical into logical is the first practical lesson of the connection between the two opinions of opaque darkness. In which, remember, one opaque darkness is the negative. I can't understand. The other opaque darkness is the highest of high. It's beyond rational. It's transrational. One area in which we find this, that we bring the transrational into the rational, is in the study of Hasidus, and specifically in Chabad Hasidus, in which there is the intellectual approach that is applied to the mystical concepts struggling to make not a man digestible into the finite intellectual capacity of man. We must work diligently to grow each day in our understanding, as much as possible, the God that we have faith in. Faith, understanding. We need to bring them together. That's one lesson, to work diligently and hard to make the transrational rational to work it, to understand it. Today all I have is faith. Tomorrow, what was yesterday's faith, becomes today's understanding and faith grows even higher. And that keeps on evolving. But there's another lesson we learned, which is from the other side. On the other hand, we must feel the not a man in the logical and rational understanding of man. This means that all of Torah study, even the most tangible civil law of the Talmud must be imbued with a fear of heaven. 
This means that we must know that we are studying the holy Torah of God, the holy wisdom of God, the holy will of God, even more so. We must know that within the Torah we are studying and within the mitzvot that we are performing, we need to know is the essence of God lies within it. And thus Torah study and mitzvah observance needs to always be performed with a reverence and with yirat shamayim, or fear of God, fear of the author of the Torah, the commander of all commandments. Now that we understand the practicality of the two seemingly opposing sides of the definition of opaque darkness and how they come together, bringing the highest into the lowest, bringing the transrational into the rational, and then bringing the rational into the transrational, meaning that it's done with a reverence. It's not just kick up my shoes, put my feet on the table, and let's study some Talmud or a mimer. No, we're talking about the holiness of Torah. Torah HaGdosha. Now there's one more thing we need to understand. Let us take a deeper look into why it is now capable for each and every one of us to connect with and to draw down the essence of God into our Torah study, mitzvah observance, and in all of our actions. Let's take a deeper look in how that works. Moses, in his final address to the Jewish people, states in the Deuteronomy, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you other than to fear the Lord your God? What is he asking of you? Moses is making it sound like, what does he really want from you? It's not that big. The Talmud has a question on this. The Talmud asks, is fear of heaven a minor matter that it can be presented as if God is not asking anything significant? What is Hashem asking? That's huge, fear of God. The Talmud answers, yes. For Moses, it, fear of heaven, is a minor matter. Now, Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi takes issue with this Talmudic answer. Why? I quote to you what the Rabbi Shneir Zaman of Liadi says in Tanya. At first glance, the answer is incomprehensible. For it is written, what does the Lord your God ask of you, not of Moses? So what's it going to help us that for Moses it's easy? For us it's not easy. And Rabbi Shneir Zalman answers. The explanation, however, is as follows. Each and every soul of the house of Israel contains within it something of the quality of our teacher Moses, peace be unto him. And then he goes on to explain. As it applies to Moses, that is, within each and every one of us, in each the divine Jewish soul, this fear of heaven is a minor thing. What are we learning here? That Moses being one of the seven shepherds of the Jewish people, he gave himself to us. He transmitted himself to us. Thus, within our godly soul, there is a piece of Moses. And for this piece of Moses... Fear of God is not a difficult thing. It's absolutely the most natural thing. Now that we understand the power we have because there's a piece of Moses within us, let's go back to what happened at Mount Sinai. That means that through Moses, within each and every one of us, entering into the opaque darkness, receiving and bringing us the Torah, it is now possible for each and every one of us to connect with the essence of God because of the Moses within us and draw this into our Torah study, mitzvah observance, and into all of our, of King Solomon says, in all your ways know him.
And now let's close it up. In closing, let us return to our opening modern day issue. We are taught to believe that God loves our goodness, our light side. However, God despises and shuns our struggles, our dark side. Together with this, we are taught to see good fortune, light, as a sign that God loves us and is rewarding us. And we are taught to see suffering, darkness, as a sign that God despises us and is punishing us. And as a reflection to this belief, we begin to despise, shun, and punish ourselves as well. My friends, this is wrong. God love, God's love to us is unconditional and it is to every part of us. Every part of us is a portal, a connection, and a reflection of God, even our dark side. Actually, it is precisely through refining our dark side that we have the ultimate relationship with God's essence. Therefore, we must learn to accept and embrace our dark side with self-love and with self-compassion. Through this, we will see what our dark side offers us and what God offers us through having our dark side, through which by working with our opaque darkness, we will have a relationship with God's opaque darkness, the essence of God himself. Thank you.